0: This week on Punch Mountain. All the women independent, throw your hands up that way. All the brothers being bothers, fall into a quarry. Don't touch those Altoids, because we're watching the 2019 Charlie's Angels. Punch Mountain starts now.
1: Welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I am joined, as always, by my esteemed co-host, friend, and partner in life. We got married. No, David Hada. How are you, David?
0: I was just happy to be esteemed. I was like, wow, I've never been called esteemed before. That was very nice. What does esteemed mean? I figured it was some sort of vegetable dish.
1: You know, I was just saying you look really red in the face, like you're steamed.
0: Okay, yeah, I get that a lot. I'm very... I mean, uh, meaning,
1: I mean that you're drunk, David. That's what I'm trying to say. It's my hypertension. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good, good luck with that. <laughs> it's not going so well. Speaking of not going so well, this podcast. No, uh, David, tonight, what are we talking We're talking about uh, b- 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 Charlie's Angels. Yes,
0: all your favorites, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu.
1: See, David, you're teasing me here a little bit, because when... We were doing the next week, Punch Mountain. You were like, Charlie's Angels, directed by Elizabeth Banks. And I'm like, I think you mean Mick G, <laughs> And you were like, no, Mac, the 2019 Charlie's Angels. And I was like, oh, right. That's a thing. First of all, I had to remind
0: you that there was a 2019 Charlie's Angels. Second of all, I had to chide you for mansplaining because I know what I'm talking about. And I don't really need a man up in my business. This movie has empowered me to stand up for myself. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Take that, the colonizer. (laughs) That's a little too, I'll walk that one back a little bit.
1: You know, look, I deserved it. But David, everyone knows that my loyalty is first and foremost to my good friend, Mick G. (laughs) Fair enough. I love all his movies. Um, Terminator Salvation to Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Um, I, I think now, you, is getting, that, was that his?
0: <laughs> there, that's certainly possible. Actually, now that you mentioned it, to the uh, internet, you know what? I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> if, we'll we'll leave that for the. You act. want some
1: mansplaining? How about some man? <laughs> some <laughs> trademark male unfounded confidence. No need to look it up. I'm right. <laughs>
0: but Mac, we are here to talk about the 2019 Charlie's Angels. What do you what do you thinking going into this before we even starts uh, with with a single word? What do you what do you thinking going into Charlie's Angels?
1: Charlie's Angels 2019. You mean? Mistogram possible?
0: <laughs> you're you're gonna have to walk me through that. Let's unpack <laughs> that real quick.
1: It's Mission Impossible in if, if, combination of that and the word Instagram.
0: Okay, there it is. <laughs> I thought some sort of grandmother was involved. I was really excited about this.
1: Like this movie was fun. Is it great? No, maybe not. But this definitely is like a this movie's like a real argument for like an in theater movie because hmm, okay. this would have been a perfect movie to like see in a mall movie theater, right? You go in, you see it, you have a good time, and then you go eat a pretzel at Aunt Annie's Pretzels or whatever your local pretzel place is. David, where are you? Denver? Oh uh, Yeah, I'm in Denver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your local pretzel place? Is it like a weed pretzel or pokey's, uh pokey's THC pretzel hut? What is it, it?
0: All right, 420 pretzels is no laughing matter.
1: What are your opening thoughts about Charlie's Angels 2019?
0: Here's the thing. I'm going to get on a soapbox real quick for just about 30 seconds. Look, I, 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 I suggested this movie... I I knew going in that this this movie not going to shake up the top of, of Punch Mountain. I'm I'm not even so sure it's going to crack the middle. But I wanted to provide this movie an opportunity to have nice things said about it because I like this movie quite a bit. I've seen it five times, as a matter of fact, since it came wow. out in 2019. Yes, uh, twice weird. in the past, <laughs> twice in the past two weeks. It's a charming movie. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I I just wanted if you know if this is the next hour 90 minutes we talk in positive terms about this movie. Mission accomplished for me. That's all I really want. I think this movie kind of got a raw deal. So I just want to give it some airtime and, and talk positively about it.
1: David, before we check into the adventures of an elite team of women sent to kill shitty men, let's check in with a friendship between two shitty men ourselves. <laughs> David, how are you doing?
0: Still shitty, my friend. Still ah, shitty as that's,
1: I. That's, a, that's how it goes.
0: I'm doing all right. It's uh, you know, it's starting to get you know, we're, we're heading into winter. We're heading into fall and winter. So it's getting like darker sooner. It's getting colder, sooner, colder, sooner. It's getting colder, uh, period, all, all 24 hours of the day. Uh, and it's kind of a little miserable experience. Cause like, I don't, I don't know your, your everyday routine is like,
1: but you know, I'll get up and at I'll seven. Never, and I'll never tell.
0: <laughs> That's for the Patreon. But yeah, you know, I used to like get up at seven with the sunrise, have some coffee and then, you know, walk down to the basement to, to go to work. And now, like when I get up at 7 a.m., it's still dark outside. And it's just, there's something really defeating about starting the day with like, oh, okay, it's it's still gloomy right now. And uh, I'm, I'm off to work. So uh, uh, about five more months of that, Mac. <laughs> how, are, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, those days when you go to work in the dark and come home in the dark, that is rough.
0: That sucks. Sucks so bad.
1: Yeah. I quit that mind job for a reason, right? I don't like it. Yeah. I'm okay, uh, David. Well, let me, a little backstory, David. Uh, Mabada is terrible. And. My back and my neck are very tight and a little crunchy, right? So I was like, why take a yoga class when I can have a yoga class be done to me? I got a massage, David. (laughs) How did that go? It went well. And uh, for the most part, but this person, it was like, do you want some complimentary cupping? And I was like, oh, sure. She's like, you know what? A little bit of a discoloration because you know what? These are these like suction cups that they put on your uh, sore spots. Okay. It uh, It's like they're like giant hickey machines. Yes. I guess they suck out the sins from my blood. The toxins, Mac. Yeah. And so, well, tomato, tomato. Anyway, this lady, very, very skilled. But uh, yeah, I felt like trash the next day. And I have giant red circles all over my back to where I was like changing and my son came in, my little three-year-old son. And I was like, don't look at me. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't view your father this way. Looked like a Spider-Man villain. I don't know which one, but uh the spot maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and so we talked uh Sunday night briefly, and <laughs> I just I was like, let's just this fucking just conversation needs to be over. I just felt. <laughs> I guess I got all those toxins out, and they stayed or whatever.
0: You were in very good spirits for someone who had just had like his soul sucked out through his back.
1: Yeah, which I mean, I guess uh, you know, is that the point of? Aren't I supposed to feel good or something? What's the point of any of it? I don't know. It just uh, yeah. I was a lot more mobile afterwards. Like she was like, you know, how's your neck feeling? I was like, Oh, I can, you know, move I can look um three hundred and sixty degrees like a like a vampire. Oh God, are hey, you, is you that okay? Can they do I think their head ex- spin around? You're exercised, I think. Okay, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> so to be fair, she was like, Okay, you need to take a bath and Epsom salt. And I'm like, Look, I'm there's no way I'm taking a bath ever again, probably. <laughs> you know, once I like I'm six six, I'm in my forties. Putting on socks is a goddamn miracle. I'm not bending over to get in the bath.
0: So if there was like a uh, a Gigantor-sized tub, would you enjoy baths or is it just no sale for, for all reasons?
1: Oh, I'd probably enjoy a, a Gigantor-sized tub bath. That sounds great. Honestly, if I have more time, but I got a life to live, David. I got a lot of stuff to do. Like for example, watch the 2019 version of Charlie's Angels. <laughs> I suppose
0: we should uh, get to it. Should we go in? David, we're going in.
1: So David, you've seen this movie five times? What? How did that
0: happen? <laughs> uh, accidentally, really. So I'll tell you what, let's start from the start on this one. So it's 2019. This was a complete Regal Pass discovery for me.
1: What is Regal Pass? Is that because you're of royal blood? <laughs> That's
0: right. I was, uh, well, I was a huge fan of William Regal, the wrestler. And so he was oh, just oh, like, Oh, Sir William Regal. Yeah, I'll buy you tickets to movies bloke. And I was like, wow, William Regal, thanks. Uh, That jokes for nobody. But uh, Regal Pass was the movie pass for Regal Cinemas, and I lived next to a Regal Cinema at the time. Before they went broke and bankrupt, I don't know what's going on with the world anymore. Who's to say? (laughs) Who's to goddamn say? Um, But it was. It came out in November 2019, and I was just sort of in the mood for it. Like The Lighthouse had just come out like a month before. I was in the middle of this like Robert Pattinson awakening because you know I really liked Good Time. I really liked The Lighthouse. And I was just kind of intrigued by the choices he was making with his career. Mm-hmm. And so he and Kristen Stewart are always going to be sort of joined at the hip. And I was like, well, what what choices is she making? So Charlie's Angels comes out. I go to see it on a whim. And I am just completely kind of taken with it, like to the point where I'm sitting in the theater and like 20 minutes in, 15 minutes in, I'm looking around the theater like, is anybody else seeing this? Is anybody else clocking this? So it's, it's just kind of become one of those movies that I'm really attached to, like – I'll promote it more than I should, like a role models or something where I'm just like, no, guys, this is really good.
1: So I'm a complete noob to the Angelverse. Like, I've never seen the TV show. I did not see um, the Drew Moore, Lucy Liu, Cameron Diaz movies. Charlie's Angels, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get the basic concept of Charlie's Angels that uh, they're controlled by a little box named Charlie and that he, he has models do his bidding. I did see the movie Underwater starring Kristen Stewart, and the movie, uh, not great, but fun. And I was like, you know what? I totally buy Case Stew as an action hero. I thought she did a great job in that movie. And so I was like, oh, I'm interested to see her continue this action vein, which is funny because Underwater actually came out in 2020, and this is 2019, so Underwater was the step up, maybe. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm excited to check it out.
0: Cool. Uh, yeah, this, you know, if nothing comes of this episode, at least I got to show you this movie. So I'm very pleased with that. Um, but I'll tell you what, before we go into a breakdown of the movie,
1: let's take a look at the back of the box, shall we? David, that's a luxurious box there. What what uh, format is that?
0: Uh, this is uh, this is Blu-ray and it, I enjoy the case. It's just a giant Altoids box.
1: Oh, interesting. You'll For fans of uh, quality uh, cases that reference things. This, this one certainly is one of those
0: <laughs> That's it's very nice you'll
1: see later in the, the movie if you haven't watched this movie already you'll, it'll come into play <laughs>
0: I hope it does otherwise it's just a giant tin of Altoids
1: did you make a mistake and open it and then eat a CD expecting a clean smelling breath but instead you chomped into a CD and your mouth is full of blood
0: I picked up one of the dots inside of it and fell asleep for two days so oh. I'm not quite sure what's going on
1: we're not talking about dots to candy pay attention to the rest of the episode dots will be revealed
0: dots will be revealed Kristen Stewart, Naomi Scott, and Ella Balinska are working for the mysterious Charles Townsend, whose investigative agency has expanded internationally. The New Angels are among the world's smartest, bravest, and most highly trained women all over the globe. Under the guidance of Bosley Elizabeth Banks, the Angels have to protect a revolutionary technology from becoming weaponized. They will have to rely on each other as their assignment becomes increasingly treacherous and even those closest to them can no longer be trusted. 2019, 118 Minutes, directed by Elizabeth Banks, rated PG-13 for action violence, language, and some suggestive material. So now my question for you, Mac Blake. hmm This is our fourth episode. This is the sixth movie that we are submitting for consideration to the Punch Mountain rankings. This is our first PG-13 movie. Does that change your opinion of this movie in any way?
1: At a certain point, there is a sick takedown of a bad dude. In this movie, and I was like, "Oh yeah," I was like, "Why was that so bloodless and a little lame?" And I was like, "Wait, is this movie PG 13 And I clicked on it, and yes, it was. When you say change my opinion, what do you mean? Do, do you, would I cut it more slack?
0: Perhaps I, I think there there is something to that. Where you know, if we're if we're focusing on the action genre, it's going to be a lot of hard boiled action. It's going to be you know tough and bloody and stuff like that. So to come in. With a PG thirteen movie, I think there's something, you know, it's it kind of handicaps it a little bit, but it also like makes it a little more difficult to pull off. I I I tend to give it a little credit for being a PG thirteen movie on this one.
1: It does help frame the movie for me, because you know, like I said earlier that I think this is like a really good mall movie. I think when you get a PG thirteen action movie, you're going for like a broader audience, maybe, and especially one with like as many kills, you know, not necessarily like you can't have an action a quality action movie that you know, doesn't feel like they're pulling their punches figuratively. You know, it's it not landing in the PG thirteen realm. You certainly can, but this movie I feel like was going for more of like a little action light, but maybe fun heavy. I, I will say that I when I saw it's PG thirteen, I was like, nah, like a little disappointed. <laughs> but look, I grew up with uh, strict parents. Would they let me see an R rated movie before I was seventeen? <laughs> no, I don't know why. Actually, that's just not true. If it was honestly, if it was an action movie. They'd be like, oh, uh, murder and disembowelment. Yeah, that's fine. You can watch that. It's like, what if I see a bare bottom? And they'd be like, oh, no, you absolutely cannot.
0: Well, then uh, let's uh, get into the movie, shall we?
1: Yes. All right. So
0: where do where do we start this movie, Mac?
1: Well, David, we get an aerial shot of Cristo Redempto, that statue. I don't think that's that how you say it. Is it a magician? Christ- <laughs> yes, the,
0: the mighty Cristo Redempto.
1: Whatever. That, you know, that, uh, bring it in for hug Jesus. Look, there's no other way to tell people that we are in Brazil without a shot of that statue, right? Look, you can't have a shot of Jair Bolsonaro on Copacabana Beach, uh, you know, murdering a Jaguar, right? People will be confused by that. We're in Brazil, and then what do, what do we see right off the bat?
0: So we go from Christo the Redemptor to uh, UCU, an uncomfortable close-up of Kristen Stewart. She's in the middle of uh, of a first date. Let's assume just sort of being talked down to by her date. Her date is play. Uh, her date is Australian Johnny Smith, played by Chris Pang. Oh, and uh, Kristen Stewart is playing Sabina. So, so we get the sense that like she's on this date with this guy. And he can't help but be a dick to her. He's just like, you know, women are very worthless. And uh, these choices you make, you did not make these. I made these for you and everything like that. And I'm like, man, this is your first date.
1: Yeah, I'm already like, ah, please let this Jordan Peterson men's rights conversation end as fast as possible. Uh, pretty cringy. Now, David, when we started this movie, or before we watched this movie, you gave me a warning that the beginning was a little cringy. Were you talking about, the montage we're going to talk about in a minute, or were you talking about this part as well?
0: I was initially talking about the montage, but upon the my most recent rewatching of this, I was like, well, this isn't the best way to start. It, I, I feel like she's staring right at me, and I kind of wanted to hide behind the couch a little bit on this viewing.
1: Yeah, this guy uh, sucks, and he's also rich because he's like having this you know, conversation about uh, women only do what men allow them to do in front of a couple bodyguards, and more security personnel are like, in the room behind them. So
0: Sabina's talking to Johnny and she's like, women can do anything men can do. In fact, men perceive women as a threat seven seconds later than, than they perceive a man to be a threat. Meanwhile, she's like wrapping him up in like these drapes, uh, these curtains that are sort of, you know, gauzly just hanging around the balcony.
1: Yeah, so she's, you know, the conversation is like, she's turning it a little bit, right? And she starts doing these little aerialist moves Kind of like, you know, aerial silks, right? She's like, you know, I think most hotel drapes are definitely attached to the ceiling enough to support someone doing acrobatics on them. So that tracks.
0: Oh, you kidding me? The sturdiest rooms in America, the hotel rooms? Yeah, of course. And meanwhile, the guards are not paying attention to this at all, while she's slowly like tying him up and possibly strangling him and just leaving him, maybe for dead, we don't know.
1: And she starts, like you mentioned, she like wraps Johnny's hands in the silks to where she like pulls and he like slaps himself in the face, and his bodyguards just like watching this the whole time. All right. Are they just pervs? Like, are they just like, no, let let this play out or something. <laughs> and at some point, one says to the other in uh, Portuguese, they're like, uh, sounds like a housewife. And she in Portuguese goes, uh, what's wrong with a housewife? And the guards are like, she speaks Portuguese? We're in Brazil. And they're just, like stunned by that. So at some point, she's got Australian Johnny like stretched out, kind of like on a torture rack. And then the fucking bodyguards are like, I guess we'll pull out our guns.
0: So Sabina gets Johnny tied up and she's like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm just the decoy. So here come the angels led by Jane. Jane played by Ella Balinska.
1: And right away, she might have superpowers because I think they just sped up the footage for a half a second because she just goes from standing to kind of like throws her shoulder into one of the bodyguards and he like goes flying.
0: So they get Johnny and and mission accomplished. This was the the home of the first markout moment for me. Johnny's trying to run away. Sabina grabs him. And it's a very corny line. She's like, you swiped right. I'm your girlfriend now. Which on the page looks very silly. But when you're watching this movie not having any expectations of it, and Kristen Stewart, who is normally this very sort of laconic, uh, very kind of withdrawn person, is like having fun with lines. I, I, that's That was my first markout moment. Not this watching... But when I first watched the movie, so I want to give it a little credit and say uh, that was kind of an awesome moment for me.
1: But then in comes Bosley, right? Our first Bosley. It's Patrick Stewart. Yay! Jean-Luc, Captain Jean-Luc Bosley. (laughs) And he's very pleased at how well the mission went. Sabine puts a bag over Johnny's head and then immediately takes the bag off. I don't know why she put a bag over his head (laughs) at all because no one is really like, you know, no one seems to care about anyone's name or whatever. You assume because it's an elite squadron, right? That they're like a covert action team. No, they're very overt.
0: No, they're very, they're very ostentatious about the whole thing. Helicopters. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But keep in mind also, as we learned about this organization, they're not sponsored by any sort of government for all intents. Of, I mean, they're probably terrorists, uh, but you know what? The good kind. What? Okay. Yes. Uh, some
0: mysterious benefactor is uh, financing this whole thing and we don't have a second question for it.
1: And so Sabina, Jane, then there's like some banter between them and like She's like, oh, I'm going to go uh, drink a whole bunch. Jane, why don't you get fucked or something? Go have a fuck spree. And no, she didn't say those words. It's PG-13.
0: No, she said something to the effect of like, so what do you, all, what, what do, you do for fun? Uh, Catwoman cosplay? And then she was like, well, actually wouldn't mind seeing that. And I was like, where is this movie going?
1: Take me with you, movie. But I was like, these two know each other, right? Like that's kind of some friendly banter or something like that. So the angels have done their mission, and Sabina like ties like a harness and a rope, and she's about to like s- you know scale down the building, and Jane just like shoves her off. But then, uh oh, we see a helicopter come up. <laughs> Sabina's on it, Kristen Stewart, and she's giving like the peace sign right to the camera, like, "Yeah, we don't take things too seriously. We work hard, we play hard here at Charlie's Angels." And then, oh, for some reason, we get a fucking montage.
0: So this is uh, uh again, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit. Uh, I did warn you before the movie. I was like, hey, there's going to be a little – it's like a minute long, two minutes long, something like that. It's going to feel really silly and kind of corny, and it might take you out of the movie entirely. Watching this now, I didn't realize it was like five seconds. It's just like – it's just a few seconds of like interspersed footage of little girls playing and and the women's soccer team or something like that. It really feels like an ad – sponsored by women like the women council is just like hey we want to let you know that women are still cool uh and it's just it's really weird uh but that's how you know it's charlie's angels time
1: it was like a minute of footage of just like women can do anything and it's like yeah we we know did, that, <laughs> did audiences do you feel like we didn't know that like at, at this point like it just it's it's weird because we just finished a really painful conversation where obviously wrong dude number one Says so like, women can't, should women do everything as men? And it's like, yeah, they just kicked your ass, pal. You should shut the fuck up. But instead we got to have like a, a Nike commercial, you know, for a minute. It just, it's just, uh, it's confusing. And yeah, it 100% took me out of the movie. But it's over. Let's shake it off. Here we are in Germany. It's one year later is what the superimposed text tells us. And we see Elena Naomi Scott is late for a meeting.
0: It's 9 a.m., and so it's time for her 9 a.m. meeting uh, with her boss, Peter Fleming, played by
1: Academy Award winner, Nat Faxon. Yeah, not for acting. He he co-wrote the adapted screenplay for The Descendants. Oh, boy. Yeah, so Academy Award winner
0: Nat Faxon plays uh, the boss. And I'll tell you what. If the goal was to cast a total snooze as the boss, mission accomplished. And that's no knock on Nat Faxon. The scene starts, he's in minute 45 of this 30-minute meeting, just rambling on, talking about geniuses, talking about the two guys who invented the light bulb before Edison. And Edison was a success because he was first to market or something like that. And I'm just like, man, is the whole movie gonna be like this? Uh, they're really doing a good job of making you uh, hate men right away. So yeah, it's uh, they're discussing security issues with Callisto, which is a uh, it's like a little Alexa device that uh, Elena helped design, and it uh, it's a little Alexa that provides energy. Apparently, has all sorts of mysterious purposes, and we'll find out uh, a couple of them throughout the movie.
1: So Naomi Scott plays Elena in this movie. I was like, she looks familiar, and I looked at her IMDb. And she was Jasmine in the Aladdin remake, and uh, which I did not see. And then also, she was the pink Power Ranger in the la- last Power Rangers movie. And now she's a Charlie's Angel. So she's really just trying to check all the – there's a lot of – there's some perverts out there who are so <laughs> far Naomi <laughs> Scott Park playing in Charlie's Angels three for three, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> I do, that did not even click with me. But uh, now all the – okay,
1: it all makes but sense. You know about. what Thank this you. show is? No pervs allowed. So we are – we're doing good. But yeah, so Nat Faxon – He's got like kind of like a a dumb bro kind of feel, and I think Ned Faxon is funny because I saw I was like, oh, Ned Faxon, he's the he's the guy from that thing, and I honestly couldn't remember what that thing was. And then I went on his IMDb, and I still don't know what that thing is. (laughs) Shit. Yeah, he gives this like bro speech, and you're like, well, this it's such a he seems like miscast in this role as like a uh, titan of industry here. We'll probably just see him for a little bit. No, he's he's in a lot of this movie.
0: He's in a lot of this movie. It, it kind of makes, there's a lot of elements of this movie that sort of make this movie feel cheap at times. And the, the presence of Nat Faxon, when you could have put somebody else in there that kind of conveys smarminess a little better and is a little more uh, fun to watch, I guess.
1: So Elena is there to say that Callisto, again, this Alexa device that provides energy, that it is no good that uh, there's a flaw in it that like fries people's brains. And Nat Faxon is like, "Uh, yeah, I don't care, little girl, because I'm a shitty dude. So run along now. Elena is just like, she's just not sticking, you know, she's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do it. You know, it's a man's world. Um, I'm a lady, I guess. And uh, so she leaves, but on her way out, bumps into uh, Mr. Fleming's secretary, Ingrid, who we saw earlier.
0: Yeah, Ingrid was the one who informed us that it's nine o'clock and she's late for her nine o'clock meeting. Now we see her in the hallway because Elena's, you know, leaving the meeting. She's despondent. And Ingrid points to something on the floor, and she's like, oh, you you dropped this, uh, or that that trash is yours. And Elena's like, no, that's not mine. I've never seen it before. And Ingrid's like, really? I think you should pick it up. It looks like you're – you know, she's very like, pick up the fucking trash, lady. That's never worked on me, but somehow Ingrid alpha dogs Elena into picking up that trash that isn't hers and hanging on to it, which is a very impressive skill.
1: Because at this point, let's face – Elena's a beta. You know what I mean? At best, there's, there's blood in the water when uh, when Alpha's come in the room and they see Elena. But speaking of the Townsend Agency, we cut to L.A., where we see the Townsend Agency, which I guess is Charlie Townsend. I didn't know that right away, but that's what it means. And we see Patrick Stewart, a.k.a. Bosley, a.k.a. Captain Jean-Luc Bosley. He's being surprised with a retirement party. Oh, my goodness. And it's thrown by Elizabeth Banks who is also a Bosley. What? Rebecca Bosley, who we will now also call Pitch Perfect Bosley. (laughs) uh, We learned that the Townsend Agency has gone international and there are angels and Bosleys all over the world. Like, surprise, we got all the Bosleys to call in on Zoom calls on these giant screens. One of them is Michael Strahan for some fucking reason, (laughs) which drove me crazy.
0: Well, let's talk about that. Why did that drive you crazy, Mac?
1: Because Michael Strahan is uh, a vessel for like smiling, talking, he's like, He's better than James Corden, but not by much. You know what I mean? But also, who else is in the shot? Digimon Hunsu. I love that dude in everything. Whenever he shows up, I'm like, oh, this movie just got good because Digimon Hunsu's in it. I keep saying Digimon, like he's Digimon. Digimon. Yeah, like he, he's a gigapet. Jim, I don't know. No, I'm not even going to say his name anymore because I feel like... Jimon. Jimon Huntsu Yeah, but the fact that Jimon Hunsu, just a, a great actor, is now having to like share his screen time with Michael Strahan... <laughs>
0: Magic Mike, <laughs>
1: XXL's Michael Strahan.
0: Yeah, Gemma Hines who plays Edgar, uh, which I'm glad I saw that in the credits because... So when you see Michael Strahan on the screen, a couple things happen. One, I'm like, okay, is this the Michael Strahan that we know as uh, the host of you know, Michael and Kelly or whatever, former New York giant, or is this Michael Strahan acting as a person who is a Bosley? Because then... If it is Michael Strahan, is this Jaiman Hinesu or is this some character? So that threw me for a loop, but it kind of does make sense a little bit when you think about it, because I was like, why the why the stink is Michael Strahan there? But you very easily could have replaced him with Ryan Seacrest, and it would have made a lot more sense, because they both have the same basic job of just like host, presenter, happy, smiling person all the time, but they get a lot of access to places. So like seeing Ryan Seacrest would have been like, yeah, I knew it. I knew it all along. that That's the only thing that can explain it's celebrity. But uh, Michael Strahan kind of threw me a little bit. I hate
1: how much thought you put into making <laughs> Michael Strahan <laughs> make sense in the angel verse. I'll say it. So the Bosleys is like, they say it's kind of like Lieutenant later on. It's like a uh, minder or something like that, or uh, in the James LeCarrie novels, uh, Control. It's just like a, a title. But if there's so many Bosleys, you'd think they would be like, I'm so-and-so Bosley, or I'm, you know, whatever. But at some point they're like, Bosley, what are we going to do about Bosley? And I'm like, you need to fucking stop this.
0: <laughs> like a brainy Bosley, a, a Bosette or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: So it's a retirement party for Captain Jean-Luc Bosley. He had quite a career. And then we see a bunch of shots from his career, which is just terrible Photoshop of him. Like in, in you know, they actually, so here's the thing. It's, they do one in comic books they call retcon, right? So now the Charlie's Angels TV show and the Charlie's Angels movies are now part of this universe because they photoshopped him into the Bosley role along with Farrah Fawcett or Cameron Diaz or Lucy Liu, et cetera. Did that, what did you think of that Photoshop?
0: I'm a sucker for terrible Photoshop. Like I think at this point, moviegoers know that when someone's like, hey, we put together a photo package for you, it's uh, tuck in the bib with the picture of bad Photoshop on it because I'm gonna eat up that bad Photoshop.
1: Well, this movie, I feel like, I feel like they were trying, they were like, this is going to be bad on purpose.
0: Yeah, I think so. And then that's, that made it work for me. Cause yeah, if they tried to like sneak Picard into photos or something like that, it might've fallen flat, but this is just really egregiously like, Oh, that used to be Bill Murray. This is very funny to me. One more thing while we're on this, uh, before we move on, speaking of everybody being named Bosley, uh, just like as a Lieutenant sort of thing. I didn't notice this the first four goddamn times I watched this. It took my girlfriend, the bombshell to point it out. Jean-Luc Bosley never refers to Pitch Perfect Bosley as Bosley. He always refers to her as Rebecca.
1: A little lack of respect there. I did not notice that, but I did notice that part of the going away festivities was that they got a call from Charlie himself and they bust out that poolside speaker. I guess they've been using forever, which why is it still going to be on that little like speaker box? Can't they just hold up a fucking iPhone or whatever?
0: Yeah, everybody gather around this uh, hardware that we can't unplug and
1: move. I did pick up on, though, when Charlie called that uh, Captain Jean-Luc Bosley was not happy. He's like, Charlie, great, or whatever. That's actually like a clue along with what you just said, that he never calls Elizabeth Banks by her proper title, Bosley. That comes into play later. I just thought it was kind of funny at the time. I was like, he hates his boss. (laughs) which We've all been there. Now we cut back to Brock Industries, which was, sorry, the name of the company that Elena works for that makes the Callisto, right? The murder Alexa.
0: Yeah, so that's uh, she's presenting to Alexander Brock, played by Sam Claflin and others. We don't know that right away. It just sort of starts in this dark room and Elena lights a candle and she starts singing Run DMCs It's Tricky, which feels really silly and stupid and completely out of place. But it is also the most adorable lady ever and no one bothers to join in. That feels weird to me.
1: I was really baffled by this. so. Like imagine, right, if you're going to give a a presentation and you're like, okay, well, does the microphone working? And you go up there to like test the microphone instead of saying test, test, you start singing tricky. That would make sense, right? But there was no microphone. She was at a podium with a candle and started singing. And I just, I feel like they forgot that or something. It made no fucking sense.
0: It still doesn't. And it never will.
1: Okay. And then we, we meet Alexander Brock, right? Head of Brock Industries, I assume. And who is it? It's, uh, it's uh, what's his name? Sam Claflin.
0: Yeah, and uh, when they cast him, I couldn't tell if the script called for a Nicholas Holt type or a Michael Fassbender type, because depending on the angle, he covers
1: them both. Well, David, first of all, how dare you? Because we're talking about Finnick O'Dare himself from <laughs> Hunger Games 2 through 4. Oh, God. See, Sam Claflin, because of like this, and he also plays like this weird fascist guy in uh, Peaky Blinders. When I see Sam Claflin now, I'm like, "Oh, this guy's up to something." He's kind of like an evil Nicholas Holt, is how I would describe him, or a regular Michael Fassbender who I believe is evil in real life, probably. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's movies like completely not understanding how corporations work because they give this weird presentation of uh, this product that Mr. Brock seems very like uninformed about. Like, if you're about to launch a product that would like revolution, you know, change your company's business, like I feel like you'd be more up to date on it. But he was like, oh, dude, you uh, you decided to go with these materials? And I was like, yes, are you not paying? What the fuck, Brock?
0: Yeah, I feel like he would be on the other side of this presentation at some point. Like, he should be briefed every step of the way. And then he should be the one giving the presentation and singing. It's tricky.
1: Yeah, and uh, Brock is like, oh, did you fix those safety protocols? And we get a close-up shot of Elena. And she's like, oh, we didn't. We didn't." You know, she's sort of, you can read, she doesn't say it. She's thinking it. And then her shitty boss, shitty dude Fleming is like, yeah, we totally fixed it. Oh, but there is one thing I should tell you about. And Elena, you know, she's thinking, and we, too, the audience, like, oh, maybe he's going to tell Mr. Brock that this thing will kill people. and But Fleming goes, yeah, there's one thing I should tell you about. We can also make it in pastels, because I heard the ladies like pastels or something. And then he gives, like, some dumb elbow nudge, like, uh, uh, that was a hilarious joke, uh, elbow nudge to some guy behind him. And the elbow nudge was so stupid, I did laugh out loud at that. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the terrible joke. It was like the, uh, like, uh, yeah, I know. I, I don't remember the last time I legitimately gave someone an elbow nudge to be like, I'm making it listen to this hilarious joke. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I'm bringing it back.
0: Mix it in. Mix yeah, it yeah, into the yeah, repertoire. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. So Elena gives the presentation. It goes over well. They've shut off all the power in the building, wired the Callisto to the building, and then All the lights come back on because it's powered by Callisto, and we just trust that 100%, not even questioning if someone's just (laughs) turning on the light switch on and off, uh, and the investors are pleased.
1: So that is what Callisto does in theory, is it somehow provides power. Sure, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's the MacGuffin, right? It's like the object that is going to move the plot forward. It doesn't really matter what the object is. And in this case, it's uh, an Alexa that is also causes power. Yay. Great. Who gets it? <laughs> Ripped from today's headlines. So then we cut to Paris, right? And we see Jane training in the ring with Bosley Hunsu. They're, they're, they're working on their boxing skills. So
0: Jane's fighting with Edgar and a Sabina shows up because she's being called in for an assignment. Wait a second. She's being reunited with Jane, but they don't get along. What's going to happen here? It's, it's uh, really fun.
1: Yeah. And Sabina's like, w- is it June? And then Jane's like, it's Jane. And I was like, wait, I thought they knew each other they were really chummy and the other thing and i was like we did just i don't know i i do believe that sabine forgot jane's name but jane look here's the thing forgetting someone's name david that's an alpha move okay i could tell you never remember anyone's name okay alphas don't that's a you're gonna get a lot of alpha tips throughout this episode charlie's alphas that's where we're gonna that's what charlie's angels fans call themselves i'm pretty sure but yeah they they're like oh uh we got an assignment. There's a corporate whistleblower. They're talking about Elena. And so we go back to Hamburg, which why is this thing set in Hamburg? Is there a reason? Yeah, they make a couple hamburger jokes throughout. Don't worry about it.
0: So we go back to Hamburg. The angels and Edgar are going to meet with Elena to see what she knows about Callisto and stuff like that. See if she'll hand over information to help them save the day. Turns out they're being watched by an assassin uh, named Hodak, played by Jonathan Tucker, who's trying to kill Elena or at the very least, take the data, but he sure does want to kill her.
1: Yeah, so Edgar is the one doing the meeting, right? But June is providing cover. She's got hired as a barista very quickly. You
0: said June, it's Jane.
1: Ah, damn it. Damn you, Sabina. See how easy it is? She at <laughs> <offered> me. <laughs> I'm a beta, David. I'm a beta. Jane is was working as a, a barista, right? And then where's Sabina? She's taking the wide angle on this one. She's on top of a building with binoculars and she's like i don't understand the code you're talking and also now i won't shut up over the fucking comps so basically Sabina's playing by her own rules which i gotta say in this case not great maybe play by some rules because people's lives are on the line and then jane looks over in the coffee shop and hodak is maybe the one of the world's worst assassins at least he's extremely bad at being covert because you wanna, you wanna probably wanna blend in if you're gonna get the jump on somebody, right? You don't wanna bring a fucking typewriter to a coffee shop with a rearview mirror attached to the case. No good. So he's like clearly looking in the rearview mirror, dong, 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 like typing away at this typewriter. Well, maybe
0: he's just working on the Great American Novel.
1: Maybe he's working on something important. Well, back. June goes up, and what does she? Sorry, Jane, fuck you, Sabina.
0: Jane goes up, and what does she see? Uh, gibberish, mishmash. This guy is just pounding away at the keys, not even bothering to form a word to keep his cover in place.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you heard someone typing, I think we all tell the difference between like, oh, that person's typing a sentence to where, or, oh, a child is mashing that keyboard. So we, get
0: that cat off the typewriter. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, so they're like, uh-oh, mission aboard. We got a fight on our hands. And here we have our action scene, which David, uh, if, I, um, if I'm looking at the DVD chapter menu, I believe this chapter is called Cafe Quick Kicks. Yeah, a little, little bit of like a short action sequence here.
0: Yeah, an amuse-bouche of action. It shows some real promise, but then the movie never really follows up on that level of promise. Like there's a shot, a, a real brief moment, you know, it's Hodak and Jane, they're fighting in between some uh, some tables. And then you see like kind of an overhead shot of Jane sort of froggering her way between the tables. And I'm like, oh, let's throw, let's throw some fight choreography in here. Let's This will be great. Let's be dynamic with it. And then it kind of just... Doesn't really follow up on that. So I, I don't know. I, I wanted to like this more, but it, it left me feeling a little flat.
1: Yeah, I started to get into this fight scene and I think Ella Belinska was doing a really good job. But there's something about it, like, I don't know if it was just like a tad slow or the editing or something, but it just, it just didn't reach that next level for me. But anyway, we cut away because Jane and Edgar are now trying to get Elena safe. They're driving her away in a car. And here's the whole thing. While this is going down, sabina's like oh i'm on my way guys and she's running down from this remember she was on like the top of a building with some binoculars this building has no elevator she's running down like seven flights of stairs which is taking forever does sabina suck
0: i i worry about that i want to leave a place in this movie for her to suck because i think there's something very charming about like there's there's reaction she has throughout this movie where she's just like shit, 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 you know, like running to try to catch the bad guys or something like that, or she's kind of in over her head. And I like those, but it does take away from the buy of the movie where these are some of the world's most highly trained agents. And it does kind of, it contradicts that in a way that I don't quite like.
1: I mean, we get that she's kind of a loose cannon, right? She's the bad one, you know, playing by, guess what, David, her own rules. I'll say it again. But at the same time, yeah, you need to, your fellow angels are getting shot at. You should be close. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyways, so this action scene, uh, DVD menu, is called Chaos in the Streets of Hamburg because we got a fucking chase on our hands. And this chase also, because when Hodak gets in his car, Mitobe presses some buttons. And guess what? A, a fucking giant minigun. It's called a minigun. I don't know why, because it is huge.
0: Well, you said it's a giant minigun.
1: But this uh, giant automatic weapon pops out. And he's just like, eh, just blowing people away. Again, not a really a covert weapon. But again, they're not really a covert team. It just seems like no one's trying to hide the secret war that they're fighting.
0: Yeah. But overall, I mean, it's a pretty okay car chase. Again, I, I've said this before, the biggest sin of the action sequences in this movie is that it makes me openly wonder how much this movie cost. Again, there's there's a cheapness, and, and it's not to the detriment of the movie. It just kind of makes me wish there was that the movie was kind of fuller.
1: There were some key moments during this action scene where it obviously was the talent was jumping in front of a green screen, and they digitally placed them in the scene later. Now, I'm not criticizing the actors for not like doing their own stunts or like, oh, uh, Jackie Chan would have thrown. No. But filmmakers don't, if that's like a crucial scene to the sequence and it's a scene where like, all right, this shot needs to be at least 20% believable, then don't use a shot that's not at all believable.
0: So Edgar gets shot. He's driving the the car, the getaway car, trying to get uh, rescue. Elena drives the car into the water sabina shows up she steals a motorcycle and uh, apprehends hodak she does kind of a little slide tackle with the motorcycle which i thought was very cool well
1: hold on hold on this, this this thing was awesome so hodak is standing there he's got his rifle out because uh he's like you know if i see one air bubble i'm gonna fucking unload this gun and then he looks over sabina slides this motorcycle takes out his legs i was like hell yeah but then david this was the moment that i was like ah, oh, this movie is pg-13 because you drive a motorcycle into someone's legs Look, I'm not you know a sadist here, but I need uh, I need this dude's legs to get crunched.
0: I need a satisfying bone snap, absolutely. because yeah,
1: look, this assassin seemed real stupid. I was ready to be done with him. Sabine definitely delivered a killing blow or at least a crippling blow. But then this dude just like gets up and just dusts himself off. There's no blood. Oh, uh, that sucks because that could have been an awesome moment. And uh, it was a knockout punch and they didn't let the guy get knocked out.
0: It's also, it's this sort of manufactured badassery that's a little artificial where it's like, Whoa, this guy got tackled by a motorcycle, and he's still standing. It's like you could have tackled a, you could have motorcycle tackled a lower stooge in the on the totem pole and then saved the assassin for later or just built the assassin up some other kind of way. But it, yeah, again, it just it ends up not working on an on a bunch of different levels.
1: Bosley Hansu is dead, which uh, seems to be uh, happening to him a lot in movies recently. Like he was in uh, a quiet place too for not very long before he got torn apart by uh, aliens. It's almost like Jaiman Huntsu has the same hours like a child actor would have, <laughs> where they're like, <laughs> okay, he can only be on set for six hours and then he's got to have an on set tutor or something like that. Cause he just, <laughs> I guess Sean Bean is on his way out and they need someone to die in movies pretty quickly. So then the Angels in Atlanta, they meet with Rebecca Bosley. At some uh, unfinished but very cozy safe house, right, where they devise a plan to recover the seven, count them, seven Callisto prototypes before they fall into the wrong hands.
0: So so first of all, before they make it to the safe house, they kind of rendezvous and meet with Pitch Perfect Bosley. Uh, but Before she shows up, there's a, a shot I really enjoyed, and it's Elena vomiting her guts out. Because I don't, I don't think enough movies show normal people getting sick after intense action. So that's just—it's a little moment that I really appreciated. Uh, there's a lot of little moments in this in this scene that I appreciate, like when uh, when Jane is told that Edgar's dead, and you know, Edgar was her mentor. She trained, you know, he trained her. Pitch Perfect is like, hey, how about, how about a hug? And Jane's like, oh, no, I'm too tough for hugs. No, I don't want a hug. And Pitch Perfect is like, I could use a hug because hugs work. And that's a very corny and silly thing to say. But you know what, Mac Blake? Hugs do work.
1: Yeah. It shows us right now that, look, Rebecca, she's not going to be one of these dumb, like, we're not going to talk about our feelings. Nut up, bro. Team leaders, okay? She cares. And hugs do work. She's fucking right about that.
0: <laughs> so we go, to the, we go to the safe house. Bare walls. It's like a Home Depot display. It's just unfinished wood lining the walls for some reason. Uh, gets people talking. I, I I'm a fan of it.
1: I don't, I don't get this because I saw the safe house and I thought it was very cozy, right? It wasn't, you know, finished maybe. But most safe houses in movies are really are just like single dudes bedrooms kind of is what the vibe. It's like, oh, look, a mattress on the floor and an Xbox controller. This is our safe house. So the fact that theirs was kind of like comfortable, and they're able to change and drink some tea. I was like, oh, a cozy safe house. How nice of them. Maybe this town's an agency does have some money to spend. Also, of course, they just had an open uh, gunfight in uh, the streets of Hamburg. Are there any repercussions to that? I don't know. Again, they're not an internationally sanctioned organization at all. They're just, you know, criminals for the most part.
0: Anyway, so Elena kind of briefs the angels on what the Callisto is, what kind of danger it is. She explains what an EMP is, which I, I remember watching The Matrix in, in 1999 and people kind of like, wow, they really had to explain what EMP means. They had to explain it means an electromagnetic pulse. And it's like, guys, this movie came out in 2019 and we're still doing it. It's time to let stuff like this go. It's totally fine.
1: So Elena says, look, there's no way you can get these prototypes out of Bach headquarters. Their security is hella tight. And they're like, oh, we can do it with the fucking angels. And they're like looking at an employee directory. And Rebecca, Sabina, and Jane are like, Uh, you thinking bowl cut? And they're like, yeah, bowl cut. Let's do bowl cuts. And we're like, what the fuck does that mean? We're about to find out because we get a bowl cut shell game sequence. All the angels they put on bowl cut wigs to confuse security, and they all dress the same. Do you think it would work, David? Yes, it did. It did work.
0: Yeah, it, this was very. This was a very clever sequence in that I didn't know what was going on at first. And like, I'm, I'm looking to give this movie points wherever I can. So if you're able to do something I haven't seen. In an action, or maybe it just doesn't click right away with me. In an from an action movie, uh, I'll, I'll give you credit for that. Now, I, I, this was enjoyable for me.
1: Elena enters wearing a, you know, sporting her new bowl cut. She's immediately the security guard for some reason, like sees it and like pops out of his chair to go personally wand her. Do you think it's because he had a crush on her? Because he's another creepy dude.
0: I think so. I assumed he had like a an ongoing crush on her and was just looking for any excuse to to wand her.
1: This is another example of uh, this movie. The aspect of it, all men are terrible because uh, his name is Ralph. He's a security guard or head of security. And as he uh, allows Elena into the building, he goes, remember to smile. So right away, you know, that's a, something a shitty dude would say to a lady. So now I, if you're an audience member like me, you're thinking, well, if this guy Ralph dies, he deserves it. Right. Yeah. Cause he sucks. But yeah. And so she goes to the bathroom where she meets up with the other angels and they're all wearing the same costume with the same bowl uh, haircut. And, you know, they're kind of like, as we mentioned, they, they, they do this purposely to confuse security. And yeah, this is not an action sequence, David. but this was my favorite set piece of the movie. I don't know, something about the haircut it was fun. And yeah, it was just a fun sequence.
0: It's it's a really fun sequence. Like, you know, there's even a moment where, where Sabina gets to, or Kristen Stewart kind of gets to cut loose, where it's like, I need you to create a distraction. And so she's just like making monkey noises yeah. and like, you know, it scratching herself and stuff like that. I like seeing Kristen Stewart have fun. And I also like to see Kristen Stewart be horny. And I feel like this movie has just, just a little a little tease of horny Kristen Stewart.
1: Because they're like, wait, let me see your passes. How'd you get in the building? And Elena looks at uh, Sabina's employee badge. And it's like, this isn't you, this is some dude. How'd you get this? And then we cut to a scene where Sabina takes it off the dude in like a, uh, a gym fitness club. And right before she leaves, she like checks out another lady exercise person. And she's like, yeah, maybe later or something. They're looking for the Calista devices, but they are gone, right? They've been stolen. Uh-oh, security's on to them, and they're looking at the video screens they're like, oh, Elena's here. Oh, no, wait, there's a lady with a bowl cut. Elena's on this floor. Wait, no, she's on. It's almost like there's three of them. And so uh, Jane makes her way down to Elena's lab.
0: Yeah, and so she uh, she meets Elena's lab partner, Langston, played by Noah Centineo. Uh, you might know him as Adam Smasher from the new uh, Black Adam movie. Uh, he helps her build a flash bomb out of gummy bears and helps her uh, you know, elude security. I'll tell you what. I'm just going to – a quick aside about Langston, played by Noah Centineo. What luck for the casting director to to put a search out for a Mark Ruffalo type and find exactly that! Like I swear, this guy was could have been his son.
1: Yeah, it's definitely like a little meeky. Like, oh, there's something between these two. In fact, when uh, security comes in, you know, we're trying to capture this lady. Uh, you definitely should probably be like, wait, I work here, uh, and security's after you. I should probably help them. But he's like, no, nah, I'm I'm spin like a kitten. I'm going to help you build a phosphorus bomb to <laughs> harm my fellow co-workers. But whatever. And then Sabina is in the bathroom where she has a fight with some dude.
0: Holy cow. Yeah. So uh, security walks in looking for the bowl cut lady. Sabina is in a stall. I didn't know security could just walk into a women's restroom. That's a new uh, wrinkle for me. So a security guard apprehends uh, Sabina in the stall, and I had I came very close to a mark out moment on this one. Sabina kind of gets the guard in a headlock and then drives his head into the wall, and the ferocity with which she did it was like, oh, that guy's dead immediately. And I there's I really appreciate it in like a bloodless movie. Anytime someone can die, oh, uh, you hold on to it for dear life. So I I, I kind of I enjoyed that one. a See, lot. See, I
1: almost had a mark out moment here too, but it was different. It was when. Sabina, um, the security guard is momentarily incapacitated. And so she kind of, not lazily, but um, at her own pace, right? You know, not not in a hurry. There's definitely a word for that. I can't think of it. A relaxed. Leisurely? Yeah, leisurely or yeah. at a relaxed pace. She's like putting her hand under the soap machine. And she's like, oh, squirt out some soap already. Uh, oh, hurry up. And then I finally gets some soap in her hands. And then when the security guard attacks her again, he she rubs the soap right in his eyes. And he's like, Hey! And I thought that was very funny. I did not mark out. But I did like that a whole lot. And Elena David is suddenly a very capable person. I guess all she needed was someone to believe in her. Because she went from somebody who could not speak up in a meeting. And now she's in a group of women who are like, hey, we value your opinions and abilities. And look what she can do. She can fucking take down a security team. So uh, it just goes to show you if there's someone who's a little quiet in your office. And maybe some shitty dude is always talking over them. Stop. Ask their opinions. Tell them they're a capable person, and next thing you know, they will help you murder people. It is great.
0: Speaking of murdering, Jane and Elena are trying to escape through, I guess, the parking garage at this point? I forget. And so Ralph is apprehending them. Ralph, the security guard from earlier,
1: and so— Oh, yeah, they they did uh, security—they locked down the doors, right, of this parking garage. Yes, no
0: one can escape, right? And they're like,
1: oh, I know how to blow up the controls for this door. We use this murder Alexa. And she's like, I'll put it here, and it'll, you know, it'll fire. It's it's a uh, brain firing signal. It'll it'll open the garage door. But then, yeah, in comes Ralph, who's like, What is going on here next to this glowing Callisto? And Elena's like, Please let me warn Ralph. He's gonna get caught in the blast. Jane's like, Ah, do do you have to? You know what I mean? Like she's not so into it.
0: Yeah, and and frankly, I don't think Elena's too into it as either because like Ralph has a crush on Elena. There's got to be a half dozen ways that Elena could get Ralph to cover six feet of distance yeah, instantly, but she doesn't want to commit to that. She's just like,
1: ah, just let him go. Well, David, your gross opinion aside, as Ralph did, of course, tell her to smile, which is a murderable offense in a movie. Ralph gets his brain fried, which later on, they're in a the car and she's like, is Ralph okay? Jane's like, oh, I'm sure he is. But then Jane looks at Rebecca and she nods her head like, no, he's definitely dead. <laughs> and I saw that and I, at this moment, I was like, okay. Okay. They've now casually murdered two people. And they're so like, who gives a shit about it? I love it. I was like, <laughs> please commit to this bit. I said that out loud. And guess what? They do, as you'll see <laughs> later on in the movie. Well, I, I don't know if this was the first killer or the second one, but there's, that becomes a little bit in the movie that they just are like, oh, well, we killed someone. Which I got to say, I loved
0: I'm so pleased. Um, so yeah, so they get away. Jane, you know, leaves Langston uh, holding uh, her her uh, uniform, her outfit, and Langston's looking at her at Jane's wig. I'm so glad he didn't smell it. That would have really made him a creep. And then we also see Susan, the lady with the actual haircut that they used uh, to, to you know, sneak around the building. And poor Susan, she's just, <laughs> she's just showing up to work, and suddenly she's got this, like, international investigation on her. There
1: you go, the final piece of the puzzle. That's what the angels were looking at. When they said bull cut, they're looking at a picture of this lady, Susan. And so they have the angels all dressed like Susan. And so then when they made their escape and Susan shows up, they're like, oh, it's this, this bull haircut lady that's been driving us crazy. Well played, angels. So the, so the
0: gals make their getaway. They head to Berlin, where the angels make it to their secret headquarters slash Instagram installation in Berlin, uh, where their quartermaster, nutritionist, herbalist, and a bitch when he needs to be uh, by the name of Saint, uh, played by Luis Gerardo Mendez, uh, he's waiting for them with a memorial feast of breads and cheeses.
1: Saint is a lot. Look, it's a different kind of safe house now, right? If I thought the last one was cozy, this one's a fucking day spa. Saint definitely, we learn so much about him very fast this character is the vibe of this whole movie or I hate this character. I don't know.
0: I had that same feeling. And I think the more I watch it, it was a little bit of jealousy, I think, because he's so perfect in every way. He He's good with food. He's good with weaponry. He might be a sex worker because pitch perfect seems to intimate that like he takes care of them in a number of ways. So uh, I think I want saints
1: job. He is like their gay best friend, Swiss army knife where he can do everything and does. Would it have been better if they would cast a name actor in this role? Or would that have been too silly or something like that? But I think Luis Mendez here does a fine job as Saint.
0: He does a fine job. I, I think it, it would have been cute if it was like a cameo. I can't think of anybody, but just a name somebody.
1: But no, he does fine. Like if it was Michael B. Jordan for some reason, it'd be like, well, you're like making fun of this character, which I don't think Mendez is. I think he is. that. No, not at all. He's playing that character up. But the fact he's like rubbing tea leaves in their wounds and then he's like, real quick, oh, let me give you a tarot reading or something. That's a lot in a little bit amount of time. little bit amount of time? Sure, we'll roll with that.
0: So the angels brief on what goes on from here. Elena learns that Fleming is trying to sell the Callistos and probably also tried to have her killed. So the gang decides we got to go to Istanbul. That's where the sale's going down. So let's gear up.
1: And Elena's like, wait, Fleming is trying to kill me, but he, he put a hit out on me, but he was hitting on me just the other day.
0: And so Rebecca has a really good line where she says, uh, a man can love you and, and still want you dead. And that's a good line. But I'm like, you know what? Name 12 examples. Uh, that's, that's a really flimsy line. You, you got to back that up, please. I I have yet to see any news articles where a, a man can love a
1: woman and want her dead. Stop it. I, I can't think of one either, David. Most men I know are pretty cool. So, okay. Uh, no, it is a good line because it's true. Too many creeps. So then we get like a a tour of like the, all the weaponry and like cool stuff that's going on in their uh, headquarters. Look, I'm kind of done with this whole James Bond, but over the top, here's your gear kind of thing. It's that reason alone, which I have not seen any of the Kingsman movies, which now that we're doing this podcast, I probably will see all of them. (laughs) But, But yeah, because the thing about the James Bond, but over the top is the James Bond movies were over the top, right?
0: I always thought there was, you know, and maybe this is me reading too much into a a series I have no relation to, but like, I thought at least the early ones were kind of, you know, over the top on purpose. It was that sort of silly, exaggerated spy tech to the next level kind of thing. So to put a next level on top of that is just overkill.
1: One of the weapons they see in the uh, weapon room is uh, just a a bunch of boxes of Altoids, David.
0: That's right. So Elena's like, oh yeah, uh, I could use these because I need some fresh breath or whatever. And so Saint slaps it out of her hand. He's like, hey, these are weapons. Uh, Maybe don't touch the weapons in the weapons room, which I get that. It's a very cute moment. But if you're Saint and you want to convey that things in the weapon room are dangerous, maybe don't slap things out of people's hands. Maybe just gently, gingerly take them out of the hands. And oh, we don't, we don't want to do that here.
1: So we cut to an empty construction site at night and looks like Elizabeth Banks, a.k.a. Pitch Perfect Bosley, is having a strange meeting with a stranger where she's giving this stranger in a limo or some sort of fancy car some secret information. Hold on a second. Is Pitch Perfect Bosley? Is she a traitor? Is she a dirty Bosley? Meanwhile, in London, John finds John. We're talking about John Luke Picard Bosley, right? That's right. Yes. he He's like a hey, uh, random... Dude, other character, did you I'm just checking my watch that Rebecca gave me, Rebecca Bosley gave me for my retirement. Is there a tracking device in there? And they're like, No, you're just a fucking old dude. (laughs) Ha, you fucking stupid idiot. But then the guy with the tracking device gives him a hug and the tracking device goes off. Wait, does he have a tracking device? In his body? Yeah, because they flash
0: back to a moment that he recalls where Pitch Perfect slips something into his drink at his retirement party. So a new thing for women to be afraid of now that men can slip tracking devices in your goddamn drink. Because I didn't know that was a thing until this movie. There's no time for that now, though, Mac. We got to go to Istanbul where Jane meets up with Fatima played by Marie Lucellum. She's a former contact with Bad Blood. Fatima agrees to help in exchange for a van full of lady products. So she's going to help them track down Fleming, find him in Istanbul, and apprehend him.
1: Yeah, because they some somehow for, figured out that uh, Fleming was going to Istanbul. I think they saw footage of him at an airport because he was wearing like a... Uh... <laughs>
0: He was wearing the outfit that the investor wears at the beginning of Jurassic Park. That's sort of like yeah. that Panama hat, the white suit, just marked for death, pretty much.
1: Yeah, I think Hannibal Lecter wore it uh, when he was a, at the end of Sounds of the Lambs. Basically like, uh, I don't want anyone to notice me. I will dress like a complete tourist. <laughs> this is the incognito look. And Jane is like, Fatima, I know you don't want to meet me. And she's like, you're right, because you screwed me over when you were in mi six. And Jane's like, look, I know I have a haunted past, okay? But I'm better now. And that's why I left in six, because they made me betray my contacts. They don't do this shit here at Charlie's Angels International. <laughs> she's like, okay, I will help you. Or she's like, how do I know I can trust you? And she's like, because I brought you a van full of goods that you can use in your clinic for Turkish women. She's like, I got you this van full of supplies that a women's clinic would need and I can get you another one in six months. Fatima's like, how about three months? Also, I'm keeping the van. Elizabeth Banks is like, I don't know if we should give her the van. Why are you fucking negotiating with this lady who runs this amazing clinic? We just give her everything she needs. You know what I mean? Like, what, what does Charlie's Angels International do if not like do this kind of work? Like, you you're you have, like, private planes that you're just uh, running into the ocean for, for no reason because you don't need them anymore. Why are you, like, fucking negotiating over these pennies to you?
0: Yeah, it feels shitty to lowball them using this stuff that you would just give them on any other day.
1: Uh, but then Sabina goes to Fleming's hotel room to look for clues on his laptop. She gets them, I guess. Uh, and while Jane and Rebecca trail Fleming on the streets of Istanbul.
0: Yeah, one of my one of my favorite tropes in all of movies, where the American is being trailed closely behind by two models. Like nobody bothers to like apprehend these girls and you know uh, gather around them like they're just uh, the beauties that they are.
1: Then the angels go back to their hotel or headquarters or whatever because they figure out that Fleming is going to go to the Turkish Derby, which is a horse race, and they're talking about how the operation's going to go down.
0: Yeah, and this is the moment where Elena kind of asserts herself and says, "You know what." I've been sitting on the sidelines this whole time. I want in. I want to be an angel. I want to be a part of this team. I want to be a part of this mission. And the other angels kind of pause for a beat and then they go, yeah, that's why you're in the meeting. That's why we gave you all the comms. That's why we, we're going to give you this iPad when we're done with it. Like It was a very cute moment. This movie just charms me all the way through. And this is just another example of that.
1: Elena is, uh, she's she's like, look, uh, I'm no longer going to be overlooked. I have confidence now. I'm an I'm a Charlie's Alpha. I went in and the Angels were like, "You didn't even have to prove yourself to us. You already did. You're already in. That's why you're here. We love you." Love that kind of support. However, this scene, it's a funny thing when when she's when they're like, "Yeah, no, that's why you're here, you fucking idiot. That's why you're in the mission brief because you're part of the mission." Which is funny, but then they that scene lasts like two beats too long it does and they're not heightening it they're just piling on so at first it was like oh this is funny ah they're supportive and after a while i'm like hey assholes cut it out she's new jesus fucking christ you're making her cry please stop i know all right we get it anyway now we're at the turkish derby which is a horse race and we see uh fleming he's meeting with uh the buyers of the callistos because he's got them right
0: yeah uh this is uh you know it's a good setup sequence, I guess. Uh, there's action toward the end of it with the horses and with Chris and Stewart. I don't know. It, it it feels in the way almost, but there's some stuff, there's some good stuff about it. This scene, like the rest of the movie, is really good at making you feel like men are the worst. Because Elena's sitting down trying to like scope out Fleming and scope out the the buyers. And this stranger just sits down next to her and just starts chatting her up, uh, trying to give her horse racing tips and stuff like that. And it's like, man, I kind of wish. And maybe if the movie is this, but I kind of wish the movie was these women agents are trying are in a mission and at every turn it's some guy just like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, can I can I ask you a question? <laughs> just, hey, what are, you, what are you doing over here? Like, uh, that would have been wonderful for me.
1: I mean, it's a little bit realistic in this world. They're like, oh, pretty ladies, they need to get harassed, I guess, by these <laughs> shitty dudes. But here we have some more not-so-secret agent uh, action because they're very overt. I feel like the point of the scene is just to put them in fun costumes because they all look like Wes Anderson characters in this scene and they look great. You know, they they look great, but they're not, they stand out.
0: (laughs) Oh, you mean like when that, uh, when Jane, that model goes uh, up into the crow's nest completely inconspicuous. Yeah. Stuff like that. So the, the guy does come in handy when he gives her information. He's like, oh yeah, that's some Saudi prince or something like that. I forget who it was. He's very rich. He has serious money. He owns a lot of horses and Elaine is like, trying to relay that that over comms. She's like, oh, he's a prince. Oh, he's got serious money. Oh, he owns a lot of horses. And again, one of the world's most adorable creatures? She's so winning in some of these scenes. And that was one for me.
1: Earlier in the movie, they were talking about how they got recruited by Charlie. I think that's earlier. So Sabine is like, yeah, I was at a really low point. I had nothing and Charlie saved my life. And then Jane's like, wait, weren't you super rich? Aren't you an heiress? And then Sabine goes, hey, more money, more problems. So now in this scene... They need to get a tracking device onto Fleming's and the buyer's escape car or whatever. Sabine has got the tracking device and she's like riding a horse really fast. Jumps off the horse woo, and like throws it just in time. Perfect throw. Tracking device lands on the van. So now the angels are back in their van and someone says to Sabine like, damn, I don't know you can ride a horse like that. And Sabine goes, hey, more money, more horses, which I got to say. Pretty fucking funny line. Nah, I laughed. That was a long walk to explain that fucking "more money, more horses" line. I could have just said it. So now they've used the tracking device. They're at a quarry, right? Not a not a fun shopping center in San Antonio. They're at a an actual rock quarry.
0: Yeah, those Istanbul rock quarries uh, where they go to meet. Fleming finds out that mansplainer Australian Johnny Smith is the buyer. Hey, the shitty guy's back. <laughs> oh, thank God. Uh, we missed him so much. And so he—he, he, you know, he's got the briefcases full of cash. And he's like, all right, uh, one thing, though, I want you to prove this Callisto works. I want you to murder someone with it. One, he can't make it work. Uh, he's He doesn't have the technical prowess to do he's it. He's
1: just a dumb bro, right? He yeah. doesn't know shit. Yeah, he's exposed
0: for being an idiot. And also, I, I got a feeling he doesn't want to kill somebody. Yeah, he, he
1: really doesn't want to <laughs> murder someone. That, that first. This, this deal, yeah.
0: <laughs> the proficiency second. So Hodak kills him, shoots him in the goddamn head in a PG-13 movie. Yeah, that was wild.
1: I did not expect Nat Faxon to get shot in the head. I think Nat Faxon is funny. I am glad he is done in this movie. So then the angels, they start to sneak their way into the quarry, right? Jane drops into a a room with a guard.
0: She drops in, you know, this little temporary building where the command center is, I guess, for this quarry. And the security guard sees Jane. And there's a moment where he looks over at the wall and there's a poster of like a, a, a bathing suit model, a pretty lady who happens to look a lot like Jane. And there's a moment where he's like, poster lady, poster lady. (laughs) And she's like in your dreams and she cold cocks him and he's out or whatever.
1: Well, that's Jane's experience sneaking in. Sabina and Elena, they sneak in and Sabina pulls out the Altoids case, right? And inside the Altoids case are these little blue, like squishy uh, dots. And she sticks them on the neck of the security guard she encounters. Security guard goes out like that, right? Knocks him out instantly. So then when all the angels meet up, Sabina looks over at June and June's standing over the dead body of that security guard and started to call her June again Jane. You did. Fuck you, Sabina. Jane goes, What? I didn't have any dots. And then they go, uh, should we dump them? And then we get a wide shot of just this body falling from this like third story command center to the ground. And I love it because it's, again, another casual murder. <laughs> I wish there was more. I wish there was nine more of them. I do. This is one of my favorite things about the movie. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and call that. That was a markout moment. Hey! Because it was after I said, I said out loud, please commit to this bit. And the fact that they did, I did like it. Hodak. Uh, the uh she villain after he kills nat fax and australian johnny's like hey man that wasn't part of the deal because we're secretly working together and i'm like oh okay so hodak and, and australian mansplainer johnny are part of the same team I, I guess this will make sense when the final curtain is pulled back but anyway the bad guy's like oh shit the angels are here and now we have another action scene quarry fight
0: so uh, a quarry fight starts with a body falling that alerts the uh, the bad guys of the Angel's presence. So it's time for some action. Jane and Sabina are like, I got dibs on Hodak. And then Rebecca splits for some reason. And Elena's in the office. She's trying to, uh, you know, open up the door, you know, trap the trap the guys in. And so a security, or, you know, one of the brutes goes up to the office and apprehends her. So everybody's got a fight going on. There's, there's a fight over here and there's a fight over here. It's still underwhelming. It's not particularly fun or gripping action. There's a lot of fun moments in it. I like Elena's struggle to try and fight. She she uh keeps shouting Krav Maga whenever she's trying to use her Krav Maga. Stuff like that is it's very charming. But yeah, the the this this fight doesn't really pay off at first.
1: Rebecca leaves. I don't know why she does leave her later she explains it right she explains
0: it to her satisfaction not to my satisfaction <laughs> I, I still don't understand i'm begging someone please explain to me why rebecca leaves the quarry fight
1: so even though the bad guys are like under attack one runs in the office and as soon as he sees elena he goes from like i'll fucking kill anyone to be like hey what's this <laughs> a pretty lady <laughs> yeah you're not gonna beat me up and then yeah she you know successfully like kicks him a bunch and if she had, with a little bit of surprise, knocked him out right there, that would have been great. However, they like keep cutting back to that fight and it's like, nah, dude, this guy's got skills and he's like twice your size. Eventually he's gonna overpower you because she's not a trained fighter. But at some point she like kicks an office chair into him and then that's the last we see of him. The fight really overstayed its welcome. But here's the problem with these action scenes. I think Case Du and Ella Balinska are very capable action heroes, Right. But the problem with this movie is that they do too many of these like keep up cutaways is what I'm going to call them. I guarantee you there's like a movie term for this. I just don't know it because they have like fights in three different places, right? Jane is fighting with Hodak now for the second time and they're like trying to get this case full of Callisto's away from Hodak and they're like hanging off a ledge, very tense, right? Whereas now we also cut to Sabina fighting in a fucking rock crusher. Like, she's got to fight a dude and not get crushed by rocks, and then we're also cutting back to the office fight, which is still going on, because as soon as she's done fighting in the office, she's got to, like, press some buttons on the computer to turn off the rock crusher. But because we got to keep, like, checking in with struggles one, two, and three, it completely, like, cuts away any of the tension and also just makes the fights feel way too long.
0: Yeah, it almost feels like a sports center for the fights where it's just like, all right, we're going to we're going to recap just the, the big moments of them instead of sitting with a fight, watching it progress, watching Jane and Hodak go at it and watching the fight develop. No, you just kind of get bits and pieces here and there. And it, yeah, it kind of leaves you feeling a little flat.
1: Jane and Hodak are each hanging off of some sort of like walkway. And they have like one hand that they're hanging on with and they're using the other hand to like, struggling, like pull this uh, briefcase back and forth. And then we cut away to Sabina and we cut away to Elena and then we cut back. Uh, we're supposed to believe that Jane and Hodak are still like, no, mind, no, mind, mind. They're like still in that same position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I get that like, you know, it's trying to show us that all three things are happening at once, but you, the way it's paced, it just kills the tension.
0: For sure, because yeah. like you have
1: a tense moment and you cut away and you you take a break from it to go another one. Uh, Sabina uh, does get free of the dude in the rock crusher, but does that other dude make it, David?
0: No, he does not, and that's going to be mark out moment number two for me, Mac. In this PG thirteen movie, a guy gets crushed alive in a rock crusher. I was not expecting that. It, it was one of those like I, I think I might have said "holy shit" to some volume.
1: Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed the heck out of that. So the angels escape. They did not get the Callistos, but what are they going to do? They got to go lick their wounds, right? So they regroup at this safe house and they wonder, what the fuck is going on with Rebecca Bosley, right? But then John Luke Picard Bosley calls in and he says, get out of the angels! The house is going to explode. And then the house explodes. And as Elena is like, whoa, dazed and wandering around, Pitch Perfect Bosley shows up and she's like, no, you're bad. And then Picard Bosley shows up and shoots Pitch Perfect Bosley and then quote unquote rescues Elena. Now here's the, okay, so the fact that the angels are like, I think Pitch Perfect Bosley is bad. The fact that they're onto her means she definitely isn't, right? Because they're not going to be like, hey, audience, I think this is the twist. And we're supposed to be like, "Uh uh-huh, you're right. No, it's going to be, it's obviously at this point, Picard Bosley is the bad, bad Bosley, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious. But anyway, we get get an explosion there and some explodey stuff happens if you like that kind of thing. Pretty decent, pretty decent explosion. But Sabina is, uh, oh man, she hurt real bad? We don't know. Jane's real breaking up, real breaking up. She's real broken up about it. And they're at Fatima's clinic, right? And Fatima's like, did you care for her? And then who, who is this lady to you? And Jane says, we're new friends, which I, for some reason I really liked. I was like, oh, new friend. That's a nice, you know, that's a nice way to put it because new friends sometimes are, are just a really, it's a really nice feeling to make a new close friend. You know what I mean? So I don't blame the fact that Jane is 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 crying over this person who, uh, you know, is uh, kind of hard to work with.
0: She even says it herself. Sabina's like, I can be pretty annoying, which I thought was a very nice moment, too. So Sabina and Jane, they share a lovely beginning of Act 3 moment where they kind of regroup. And then Saint shows up and he brings Pitch Perfect, who reveals that Picard is the buyer and has been the bad guy the whole time. Uh, so it's time to infiltrate Brock's party. Brock is going to throw a party where he, uh, you know, is kind of just celebrating Callisto and shit like that. So they're going to go infiltrate that.
1: This might have been the scene where they were like, Bosley, you're the traitor. And then she's like, no, it's Bosley. And they go, it can't be Bosley. It's you, Bosley. They're like, no, it's Bosley. He's like, oh, no, Bosley? It's like, you got to give him other names. You can't.
0: Or like if, if you know, if one of them is known by a specific hat, you carry that hat around. So you're like, so Bosley put on the hat. Talk to Bosley, put on the glasses about Bosley, drink the cup of coffee and just kind of, you know, it's a lot of prop work, really.
1: So now it's time for Brock's party.
0: Jane and Sabina, they disguise themselves as beautiful women and walk right into the party. The
1: perfect I, disguise.
0: I guess this is Sabina's kind of x-men power uh, you have to figure jane was mi6 so she's good at combat and weaponry i guess sabine is just good at uh, packing well and so they get in meanwhile elena is being held captive by picard bosley in the house in a room apparently made of chocolate bars because the uh the, the wallpaper is just like gold foil and it's uh, it's really pretty
1: so they they drop her off in the room and they're like you know they say some they, they twirl their mustaches a little like we're bad guys and then they're like, make yourself comfortable. And then when they see her again, she's uh, changed into a, a very revealing cocktail dress. So I guess she, she was like, well, even though I'm kidnapped, I'm going to look like a million goddamn bucks. Uh, <laughs> but then they, uh, Hodak comes in. He's like, oh, he's got this necklace or whatever. And it's a fucking gold collar with a leash. That I believe they found in the house.
0: It was like, oh yeah, uh, Brock's got one of these, so we'll just use this. And like, I gotta, I want to know more about these parties that Brock is holding. Tell me more about this gold collar.
1: Is was there anyone in the audience who's like, I don't know if these guys are really bad, even though they've murdered characters I like. I don't. Oh, hold on a second. They're literally leashing a woman.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know if we needed it, but whatever. So when Jane and Sabine enter the party, there's a dance happening in the party. So they got to, they're like, well, in order to blend in, we got to do this same dance. That made me
0: wonder, because they're very good at it. And it's a very fun little sequence. Did they have to learn this choreographed dance in order to get into the party? Or are there just some dances that everyone knows? Like, have we evolved beyond the chicken dance and, you know, the dances that everybody knows? And now there's just more complicated dances.
1: This is before the pandemic TikTok explosion, so you can't, I mean, if it was a TikTok dance, I don't know. I will say this though, uh, I liked the dancing sequence, I like dancing sequences, and so I liked this sequence. As soon as I started dancing, I was like, yes, more dancing, keep dancing.
0: So Jane and Sabina, they do their little dance, they step away, they go, they find Brock's uh, wall safe and put in a wrong code to create a diversion. So that, you know, uh, oh, someone's trying to access my, my, my safe. So the security guards go and apprehend Jane and Sabina, leaving Elena alone to be rescued.
1: So what's his face? John Luke Picard Bosley. He's explaining his evil plan. In comes Brock, right? Mr. Brock. And Elena's like, Mr. Brock, uh, you'll save me. But Brock was like, no, I'm I've been in on this the whole time, right? I'm also a bad guy, which, here you go, David. So the Callisto, right? So Jean-Luc Picard is like, we want to use it to murder people because it's currently flawed and it'll like fry someone's brain if you enter the right code. So these will be great. We'll use these as like little secret grenades. And let's say you wanted to put an Alexa in people's houses that you could secretly blow up anytime you wanted to. I could see from a bad guy standpoint why you would want that. But here's the thing. The Callisto is not Alexa, you know, order me some more AA batteries. It's a creating clean energy. Mm-hmm. So isn't Callisto way more valuable as a power source than just as a grenade? But look, let's say I accept that, right? I dare you to explain the bad guy's moves in this movie. So if Brock and Johnny were working on this thing the whole time... And so was Hodak in with then what the fuck was Fleming doing when stealing the Callistos?
0: It's clearly the perfect plan for a number of reasons. I mean, you take the Callisto and its assassination abilities, it really is the perfect crime. Let's say you wanted to kill the president, all you have to do is break into the White House, plant the Callisto, set it to charge, leave, wait for it to kill the president, then come back later that night to get the evidence and remove it. It's it's as easy as pie. I don't know how you can't see this. And so for everybody to surreptitiously be on it, it's a, it's an A to B plot, Matt. How no, how, how are you not following?
1: I this? accept that. I will go <laughs> ahead. That makes perfect sense to me. You know what? I'll, I'll pretend that it does. But then why did Fleming, if Brock is in on it, why did they need to steal it from Brock headquarters and then fake a sale from Hodak to, and Fleming to... Australian mansplainer Johnny, because they're all working together. It's like, it, it's just theater at this point. There's no point in the, this weird sale. I think you've hit on it.
0: I think it is theater, because I think they're trying to sort of present the sale as something else to the angels. They're kind of trying to throw... What am I trying to say here?
1: Okay, so part of this is a trap set by Patrick Stewart to lure the angels out.
0: Yes, and that Faxon is kind of the patsy, because... Brock can't steal his own Callistos. He needs someone to get the Callistos out of the building. So he'll sort of count on Nat Faxon to do that. And that that way the angels are on the trail of Nat Faxon and not Picard.
1: Even if that makes sense, David, that makes no fucking sense. But you know what? I'm going to say, okay, and move on. Matt, because you, you, you <laughs> see my nosebleed. You see how hard I'm trying to make this work right <laughs> now. I'm sorry. I feel like if you haven't seen this movie, but you're listening to this podcast and you're still listening to this point, God bless you. Because plot intricacies, uh, that's why people love podcasts. It's just really getting into the thick of it. You know, and you know, I'd say this is unfair. It's unfair of me to pick apart the plot because when I was watching it, I didn't really care. I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, for I, sure. Yeah.
0: I, 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 I assumed a lot from this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm not trying to like dunk on this movie. I'm trying to enjoy it. And I did. It's like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> but at the same time, it just doesn't make any sense.
0: No, you're absolutely right. As far as like the earning capability of the Callisto itself, it really is like Austin Powers, where Dr. Evil comes back and he's like, all right, let's hold him ransom for $1 million. It's like, we, we make that much in legitimate businesses. We, We don't have to do that anymore
1: so Jean-Luc Picard Bosley says like you need to program this Callisto to kill for me Elena and she's like I won't and he's like oh yeah well then guess what I got in the fucking closet it's
0: Langston Uh, he was hiding in the armoire the whole time which is a very evil move and I like that the movie kind of pointed that out
1: although kind of a weird move for Picard Bosley to be like look who I brought it's Jane's future smash buddy like I don't
0: don't you have feelings for him too, Elena? Or
1: did I just completely mis- miscalculate this? He's like, aha, now I have him back in the movie for some reason. Hmm, why did I do that? <laughs> and then Picard is like, all right, we'll leave you guys alone, but not so fast. You're going to uh, program this thing right in front of me so I know that it, you're really programming it. And and they're like, okay. And Elena's like, beep, boop, boop, it's set to kill. And then Jean-Luc Picard goes, okay, now to... To prove that you actually said what you did, I'm just going to fucking leave. Which does is like, wait, what? <laughs> He's like, not so fast, Elena. Never mind. And then he just leaves <laughs> trusting that they programmed the thing to actually do what they said. But spoiler alert, she didn't.
0: And then on their way out, Picard has a couple of really great lines. Well, not great. I don't know. You tell me. He's talking about Brock. Brock's kind of despondent now. He's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm killing people left and right. I, You know, this sucks. And Picard's like, "Oh, but you're gonna disrupt the power industry. Go you!" And the, the the implication is like, "Oh, this generation's gonna figure out all the problems with the world. The world's on fire, but you'll crack the code." Completely just ignoring the fact that like Picard's generation created this mess for Brock's generation to fix. That that kind of stuff drives me nuts. But goddamn it, if that wasn't a good line and very effective,
1: I liked it because it kind of hits on this approach all these tech billionaires have, which the solution to the planet is uh, more tech. -hmm. But yeah, I mean, Brock is kind of your stand in for like a shitty tech dude. And in this scene, instead of being revealed as an uh, evil genius, he's kind of revealed as just like a sucker, which a little disappointing, but still okay. But anyway, back to some action.
0: Meanwhile, Jane is fighting Hodak. This fight's okay. This fight's decent. It's a good lesson because it's a very beautiful house, the production design's very good. And it, it kind of feels like you can bury underwhelming action with good production design. It's just like as long as the shot itself is pretty and as long as the composition works, you can kind of get away with it. For a fight that is being built up as the movie goes on, you know, we've, we're have we trying to establish Hodak as this badass. Jane even, even says, she was like, you know, that first fight, when you thought you were kicking my ass, you weren't. I was learning, which is a very awesome line. But then she kind of takes it a little further. She's like, I know you only have seven moves. And that kind of threw me, because then it's okay. So it's punch, kick. So that's two. Hold on. Jab, uppercut, kick, three. So I don't really know. I don't really know what seven
1: means there's, and if there's she's spin keeping it And a little, there's like a wiggle he does. Jane's like, this is the third time we've met. And now I know all your fucking moves. Then why are you still getting hit, Jane? This dude, he's murdered characters we like. And he also killed a character we didn't like. He's a bad dude. We want to see him get his ass kicked it's time for Jane to go fucking game six. You know what I mean? Like this is her moment, show her kicking ass. But again, they do those too many fucking keep up cutaways where they're like, oh, let's cut away from this fight to just see what the other angels are doing. And again, it just takes attention out of what should have been like the ultimate fight in this fucking movie. Ella Balinska, I feel like is doing a great job with the action stuff. This is, this is the scene to do it. And yet we just don't, I feel like the movie just, it doesn't really show us the ass kicking I wanna see.
0: It doesn't show you the ass kicking, but the payoff is kind of what they're leaning on because how does Jane beat Hodak? Uh, She throws him over the railing and he gets impaled on an ice sculpture. Uh, What is the ice sculpture of? Just a giant point. Uh, But uh, that was gonna be, uh, that's my third mark out moment when Jane kills Hodak. Again, a PG-13 movie and this guy just gets impaled on an ice sculpture in the middle of a party. Uh, I was very into that.
1: You see some dude get impaled on an ice sculpture and you're like, oh man, someone gonna say like a cool action hero line? No, because we cut to Brock and he goes, why does this keep happening? which I was just like, Jesus, <laughs> shut the fuck up, dude. It's a PG-13 movie. That's a pretty bloodless impaling. I, I did not quite mark out for that scene or whatever. But however, Hodak's dead. And now uh, the Angels have Picard, right? And then there's like a little bit of like a an encounter between Jean-Luc Picard Bosley and Pitch Perfect Bosley. I got to say, David, I did not want this fight. Okay. Why not? I like Elizabeth Banks. I don't want to see her get beaten. I like Patrick Stewart. He's fucking old. I don't want to see an old man get beaten up unless he's playing a Nazi in Green Room. So it's like, please don't hit each other. You know what I mean? I was like, don't fight. If, if anyone throws a realistic punch and Patrick Stewart or Elizabeth Banks gets hit, I'm like, ugh, don't. They're nice. It looks like Picard has got everyone on number because he's got a team of uh, shitty dudes. Like all dudes are all shitty. He obviously has been resented. The fact he was forced into retirement by the Angels. This whole time he's been recruiting a shadow network of dudes. Turns out he was team dude the whole time, not team lady. And it's like, oh no, Rebecca puts an arm, Rebecca Bosley gets like John luc Picard Bosley in an arm lock. And he's like, oh, Rebecca. And then what does Rebecca say?
0: She says the name is Bosley. Remember from before when she was not being called Bosley? Now she's being called Bosley. So that's a very satisfying payoff for the people who are paying attention to that.
1: However, unfortunately, the uh, payoff is being undercut by the fact that it's the name Bosley. <laughs> it sounds like something a, a tough guy cat would say. Like, they call me Mr. Bosley or something like that. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Look, the last five minutes are asking us to buy a lot. So uh, we're, we're going to buy a lot. And one of those things, the, the men outnumber the women. The men have foiled the women's plot. It's all over, except Rebecca uh, says the secret phrase, and that's going to be, send the love. And then the lights go out, and when the lights come back up, the men are outnumbered by women. And they start dropping like flies because they all got uh, Altoids.
1: They got the Altoids uh, ticky-tack dot on their neck. Oh, no, and they get zippity-zapped.
0: That's right. Very cute, very clever for this movie. For me, however, Send the Love is a tremendously stupid thing to say. It undoes a lot of goodwill from the movie, believe it or not. That that drove me nuts. Uh, I don't know why. It's very unreasonable of me, but for fuck's sake, you're an action movie. Say something cool.
1: I, yeah, I don't get. Is it a reference to something?
0: I have to assume. I have to assume.
1: I mean, look, I'm not again. Uh, I got unfounded uh, male confidence. I'm not going to look it up. Uh, <laughs> no, but maybe it is. I don't know. Look we'll at a bit of the doubt. Maybe it is a, a reference that maybe it's like it's Avengers Assemble simple and Avengers Endgame where the angel heads are probably like, oh hell yeah, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Fair enough. So all of a sudden, all the men are down, the shitty dudes, and all these women are are standing over them, like, oh my god, wait, hold on, was this room full of angels? And then we get like flat, we see like a woman's face, and then we flashback. Oh, she was that lady in that other scene, or oh, these angels were watching us, watching over us the whole time, like actual fucking angels. Oh, Charlie's Angels, you've done it again. And Patrick Stewart's like, how did you do this, Rebecca Bosley? And she's like, oh, twist. Turns out. Australian mansplainer Johnny was working for me the whole time. Like, what did he do that would do anything? I guess he was a mole. Like, he's still a dude who we found in the beginning stole money from refugees. He's not a cool guy we want on our team. That does not make sense, but okay.
0: So so now we're wrapping it up. Charlie is revealed to be a classy older lady using a voice simulator. It's not a guy, Mac. It's a lady.
1: Yeah, it said in the computer screen it said it was transcoding, which, all right, movie. That seems problematic to me, but okay. But look, I can only assume that Charlie is in real life, of course, Mackenzie Scott. It makes total sense because...
0: Oh, is that right? Yeah
1: because she's a billionaire cuz she's got all this money but she's doing it in secret because if Jeff Bezos finds out that someone is doing something good with his money he'd get super mad cuz he's a monster.
0: Do you think that's why they hired Patrick Stewart to play it because he's bald like Bezos?
1: Does he also have uh super thick porno arms <laughs> like they were <laughs> He somehow looks like kind of a private security force guy that's his sort of dress code anyway no, sorry, i'm just dunking on jeff bezos hold on david i just got a notification from jeff bezos i heard you and i'm coming for you oh no i'm so sorry oh no. maybe it's because of all the times we said murder alexa in this, in this <laughs> podcast. So. so charlie was really a lady that's good i guess
0: uh we find out uh, we we see langston langston catches up with the angels before they leave jane flirts with langston using a pun about the guy she murdered she was like oh i, I think he really got the point Uh, And we're just supposed to laugh off the murder, I guess. Elena's welcomed onto the team, and then we get the credits. So yeah, the credits come up. or We're getting getting mid-credits sequences. Elena's in training. She's driving with Danica Patrick. She's doing combat with Ronda Rousey. She's skydiving with uh, some cast members from Pitch Perfect. She's defusing bombs with Laverne Cox.
1: She's doing other stuff with people I don't recognize. Uh, (laughs) But I did recognize, uh, my wife did recognize Haley Stanfield in that one. Yeah, so we, we see all the training that goes into being an angel as the credits continue to roll. And Elena's about to jump out of the plane, and then Pitch Perfect Bosley goes, Uh, you're not jumping out of the plane. You gotta fucking land the plane. Uh-oh. Hope you know how to fly, I guess. But guess what, David? She fucking does. Yes, and that's
0: how we end Charlie's Angels.
1: 2019.
0: Well, let's get down to brass tacks on this one, Mac. Markout moments. How many did you have?
1: One. I had one markout moment for the, their casual approach to murder, which I, I did appreciate.
0: Very cool. Uh, that's a hard-earned one. I'll take that one. Uh, I had three. Uh, I had uh, both of those big, uh, gruesome murders, and then Kristen Stewart having fun at the beginning.
1: I marked out those three times. David, and I, I need to ask you, is this someone's favorite movie? You think? I have to imagine so. Probably... Let's see, when did Twilight come out? Twilight was like
0: 2008, something like that. 2010, 2008. So let's say there was a gal who was like a teenager
1: when Twilight came out.
0: Okay, let's talk about this gal. Okay. And so, you know, a dozen years later, Charlie's Angels comes out. And I think she's still kind of, you know, tied to Kristen Stewart from memories of, of her youth. And now she's watching Charlie's Angels and she's just filled with all sorts of complicated feelings about Kristen Stewart. I think this might be that person's favorite movie.
1: You know, I think this movie is fun enough to where if the right person at the right age saw it, that it would really stick with them. So yeah, I think this is someone's favorite movie, sure. Cool.
0: I'll tell you who it's not the favorite movie of. Let's talk about the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. I saw this in the Wikipedia article for the Charlie's Angels movie. If you go down to the accolades section, this movie was nominated for two awards by the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. It won one. The award that it won was in the category Sequel or Remake That Shouldn't Have Been Made. And then it was nominated, Kristen Stewart was nominated for Actress Most in Need of a New Agent. Ooh. The Alliance of Women Film Journalists, Mac. Perhaps a loose association of women film journalists. Maybe alliance is not the word to use if you're coming up with those categories for other women in film.
1: Sorry, women. You can't make fun movies. Only only men can do that, I guess. All right, David. Time for punch-ups. Okay, David. If you could change anything about this movie... To fix it a little bit, how would you do that?
0: More budget. Open up the wallet. Finance the action a little better. Um, get a fight choreographer. Just beef it up a little bit. You know, you're if you want to be an action movie, even if you're an action comedy, be an action movie. So I'd like I do that first of all. This next one's going to be a little tougher to sell. I think if you had cast a bigger star in the role of Jane and slid K-Stew down to like a supporting role, then she could have been a scene stealer. But by making her kind of, above the title by making her like number one on the call sheet. The audience kind of expects her to be the leader, to be the lead, to you know, to carry the weight of the movie, when it's really, it's kind of Jane uh, as the leader of the group. And I think if that was like a Mary Elizabeth Winstead or something like that, then you can kind of just relax and let Kristen Stewart have fun. I, I feel like I'm kind of over-explaining this, but I, I just think this movie did Kristen Stewart a disservice by expecting her to carry it.
1: Look, I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead, but how dare you? Okay, I love I think it's the best part of this movie.
0: Oh, I, I agree. I think I think she's great. But you know, if we're if we're punching this up, that would be my punch up.
1: All right. Well, your 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 uh, opinions are wrong as all. Well. No. Um, <laughs> things I would punch up: the edits, man. You got to edit this action a little bit better. I'd I feel like you could smooth out that plot, so you wouldn't have dummies like me going, "This doesn't make sense." And also that fucking opening. First of all, get rid of that montage. Is what I would do. I don't know. There's something about that opening. It just felt a little like soft or something maybe it was the fact that the bodyguards weren't reacting or whatever but there was some good action there it just wasn't landing so i'd uh i'd take another look at that maybe you know maybe they didn't want like a a really top shelf action movie maybe that wasn't what they're going for fair uh but i feel like uh i feel like you could have had some breakout action roles for case two and Ella blitz i feel like you didn't get that for case two until underwater but maybe i'm wrong maybe there's a case two action or i'm overlooking i don't remember all right so david you got three copies here of this movie and uh let's open up the door to the punch mountain video store one of the last remaining video stores on the planet now david this is an all-action movie video store so where would you stock these three copies what categories my first
0: copy is going in a category called in case you missed it because i don't want to i don't necessarily want to come out and say this movie's underrated i'll let Anybody who's willing to rent it, I'll let that deci- let them decide for themselves. But I think this is just one that might have gotten overlooked, so I would put it in kind of an, an in case you missed a category. Okay. Uh, so that's one. Uh, second copy's going in whatever category I created for Hard Target. That I believe it was called like something for the ladies. I, I, I you know, I, yeah, I, I think this is a very uh, lady-friendly action movie. Not in the same way that Hard Target was, but it, it just we'll just shoehorn it into the category. Third copy. Where the hell's this third copy going? You know what, uh, I, P, uh, all ages action. I, I think I'm going to create that category. I'm not I'm not going to lean on ratings at this video store, so it's just going to be all all ages and not all ages.
1: Well, David, I think making this a ladies action movie, of course, is pretty sexist, but I'll allow it. Because um, <laughs> the ladies love the hardcore action, just like me and you, and by hardcore action, I mean Exit Wounds, not Exit Wounds the movie. <laughs> I think starring Steven Seagal and DMX. At the DMX, that's right. Yeah, I'm talking about hyperviolence. Yeah, I, I, that sounds good to me. I don't know if I would was it. I mean, it. I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of like action light a mm-hmm. little bit, but you yeah. can still have fun and not need it to be an action movie. Is there a category for that? Comedy, comedy. Okay, because yeah. um, it's like a not funny action comedy. Although I did laugh like three times. Yeah, I think it was pretty, pretty mm. light and charming. Yeah, yeah, I would, yeah, I would say light. I would, I, if I had a okay. copy to stock, I would put it in the uh, action light, the action light section. Yeah, I'm into that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, David, here it comes. This is what everyone, this is where they fast forwarded through <laughs> to get to this point. Where on Punch Mountain is this thing stacking up? And our, our current ranking. The top of the mountain at the moment is Raid 2 and at the base camp of the movie at the bottom, right? You haven't even gotten to the gift shop of the mountain yet. It's Chappie.
0: You know what? Honestly, I'm just happy to be in the conversation with this movie. If someone wanted to make an argument that this movie has less action than Chappie, I would listen to that argument. Not for very long. But a case could be made. That said, like you know, like I said at the top of the show, as long as we just spent the last hour and a half talking about Charlie's Angels, that's a victory. Put it wherever you want. Um, As long as we acknowledge it.
1: Okay, David. Well, let me look up at the mountain and see those giant gold letters. Or oh, by letters, I mean yes, there it is. Oh, Charlie's Angels! It is. Raid two, The Matrix, Hard Target, The Rock, and then Charlie's Angels 2019. Yeah. And then, of course, way below that is Chappie. Suck a dick, Chappie. <laughs> I, this. I don't think this is ever at risk of being below Chappie. I don't know why you need to be worried about that. <laughs> I was
0: sweating it a little
1: bit. I don't think so. I think <laughs> Chappie made me sad. This movie, <laughs> I had fun at this movie.
0: Here's what I'll say. I mean, you're, you're talking to a guy who's watching it five fucking times already. The rewatchability on this um, is there. It's very light. You could throw it on. Uh, it's the kind of movie you could just have playing in a loop and not even notice. And I mean that in a good way. No, yeah, I think it's – uh, I'm, I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased that you enjoyed it.
1: I think it's more rewatchable than – well, I don't know. Here's the thing. The Rock is long. It's fucking long. <laughs> and as I, as I get older and sleepier, that's more of a detriment. <laughs> but the point of The Rock rewatching it is not to rewatch it from start to finish. It's to catch it on like TV or something like that or like – watch it over on netflix or whatever the course of a week you know what i mean yeah. so like that doesn't even at that point is the rock even a movie you know what i mean is it just a collection of clips
0: but i feel good about its place I, I'm, I'm really glad that we did this one
1: ah there's the horn calling us to action david on this podcast we talk a lot about fictional action heroes but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable underserved or underrepresented communities and this month we're spotlighting the innocence project guided by science and grounded in anti-racism the innocence project works to free the innocent prevent wrongful convictions and create fair compassionate and equitable systems of justice for everyone after each episode this month uh punch mountain that's us we'll be making a small donation to the innocence project also for every review we get on itunes i previously said itunes and spotify but you can't actually leave reviews on spotify so feel free to just mail it in snail mail or attach it to a a, you know raven or something like that but for every review we get on itunes We'll add an additional $1 to our donation, up to a certain amount, obviously, just in case uh, any trolls out there think they've uh, found a loophole to bankrupt us. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the next podcast. We got this review here from Isaac M. And he says, great podcast, no notes. Uh, Great podcast, no notes for now. Evil laughs, smoke bomb, runs away. Thank you, Isaac. We appreciate that. And that's another dollar we're going to add to our donation. So thank you, sir. For more information about the Innocence Project or to donate directly to them, visit innocenceproject.org
0: that's going to be the show for this week folks don't forget to add us on social media we're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at at PunchMountain at gmail.com MacBlakeComedy.com is going to be your source for Mac stand-up next week from 1987 directed by David A. Pryor we're watching Deadly Prey and folks a quick disclaimer for anybody looking to catch up on the reading before next week if you go looking for this movie on streaming services please make sure you're not watching the Riff tracks version. We'll talk all about it when we meet back here next week to discuss Deadly Prey. We will see you then.
1: Goodbye, Mac. Goodbye, David. Bye. Bye, guys.